Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode of Philly's Therapy is brought to you by Loop. Ask any ball player and they'll say there's no better feeling than coming up with a big hit when it matters most. Download the number one sports card app and get those big hits for yourself. Join Loop and get access to live sports card streams all day, every day. Our community hits cards that are worth up to thousands of dollars every night. Get a piece of the action for yourself. Download Loop for free today at loop.cards. That's L-O-U-P-E dot cards. Loop, sports cards 24-7. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Philly's Therapy, where we have actual games to talk about. We're recording on Sunday night following the end of the Phillies' home opening three-game series against the Oakland Athletics, where they won two and dropped one, uh, playing about as you would expect the Phillies in 2022 to play a series of baseball. On Friday, the offense was the show immediately, which was wonderful. Kyle Schwarber started the game with a home run. The offense tacked on some insurance runs late, which was nice, and the Phillies won 9-5. to five. On Saturday, Kyle Gibson was the story as he turned in what might have been the most dominant start of his entire career, and the Phillies won 4-2. to two. And on Sunday, everybody looked cold and uncomfortable, and the Phillies lost Four to one after swinging at just about every first pitch, looking like they had a flight to catch, even though their next series is at home. They sit at two and one. It's one series in. We can't really tell a lot from three games, but on balance, I think it was more fun than not. And joining me to tell me whether I'm right or wrong and to maybe color in between the lines a little bit more, I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host, the thawed out and no longer freezing in the open air press box of Citizens Bank Park. Matt Galb of the Athletic Philadelphia. Matt, hello. Happy Sunday. Some days you hit a lot of home runs, and some days you just want to swing and go home. And like, yeah, I feel that like was that today. was what Sunday was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, and nobody will say that, but I mean, you know, it's a long season, and some days you just don't feel good up there. And like Sunday was not a good day to hit. And like everyone's like, well, the A's had to play it too, and they did. But I mean, they, they really played most of the game with two runs. They scored too late. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I think opening day was pretty fun because like, I feel like that's a game that kind of game is a game. The Phillies are going to play like, I don't know, 40 to 50 times this year. That's, oh, that's yeah. our game, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like get a big lead, a bunch of, you know, a couple home runs, big hits. And then, you know, bullpen starts to give it up a couple of bad defensive plays. You're kind of looking around like what the hell's going on. And then in the end they score some runs and they win. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are a lot of fans who probably wouldn't admit this because we all like to put on uh, the face, the face of fandom. But I think there were a few people who were probably appreciative that everybody wanted to get home early <laughs> from this game on Sunday with all the early swings. Cause it just did not look it. It didn't look enjoyable. Even just watching through the TV screen with the winds coming in from center field and it's gray and it's cloudy and there's not a lot of action. It just didn't seem like a great day for baseball. So, you know, I, 
I'll give him a pass. It's early on. You get a mulligan. Everybody's still riding high with the serotonin, feeling good. You win two out of three anyway. Fine, whatever. You can let it skate. But honestly, it, it, it's not even like it's not even like they were that bad today, Sunday. It, they had some good swings in play. They hit some balls hard. They just they found fielders. Dalton Jeffries was okay. He wasn't dominant. Zach Eflin got squeezed a little bit, but he also didn't have his best stuff. It just, it wasn't anybody's best day, honestly. And you're going to get that 50 plus times during the course of a year. It wasn't my best day either. Like, yeah, so I it, bet. Was, it was, it was windy. It was windy before the game. I mean, it was windy all day, but before the game, I was in the dugout and uh, it was like a wind that blew something into my eye. And like, uh-huh. I, I was like something in my eye, it's really messed up. And then like, I, I tried to rub it and then either, I mean, I hope, my contact actually fell out and then it's not stuck in my eyes somewhere. Oh, no. I don't think it is, but my, my, I lost a contact and I'm like, I'm like panicking. I can't find it on the ground. Like my eye hurts. <laughs> and Zach Wheeler walks by and he's like, uh, what happened? Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I think I just lost a contact. And he's like, Oh, you have a backup pair. Right. And I was like, no, no, I don't. He's like rookie move. And I was like, I've been wearing contacts for 20 years now, and this has never happened to me. And uh, I felt like an idiot. And so today I watched the game uh, with with one eye, basically, um, because I, I could not find my contact and I didn't have a backup pair. So uh, Sunday wasn't wasn't my best day. And, and Zach Wheeler got a good laugh out of me. Well, what does what does Citizens Bank look park look like with one good eye i'm sure paint the scene for me here like how what what vision deficiency are we talking about here like are you I, i'm yeah I'm, I'm pretty bad like i i actually uh, have an astigmatism and my left eye is my is my worst eye too uh-huh. so um, and that's the one you yeah, lost I, it from yeah I, oh, I, good. I, mean, I could you know because i had one you know because i had one contact in i could you know i could see it was just somewhat blurry at times and uh you know safely drove home after the game and now i have well, two contacts good. in while we're recording this podcast so it was cold yeah i mean and uh you know there will be there'll be days like this and i think uh you know you take you take two out of three from this team and that's like what you're supposed to do i mean that you know people would be like well they should be sweeping the a's and like you know it's hard to win three games in a row no matter who you're playing even if you're playing a triple a team which is essentially what the Oakland days are this season. Uh, but you take two out of three and, uh, you know, you go from there, you got a Mets series coming up, but yeah, you, you want to win series. And uh, yeah, I think probably like the most surprising performance of the weekend was Kyle Gibson. Like he was, um, he was outstanding and I know it's the Oakland A's and uh, you know, whatever, but uh, I think I tweeted and I don't know if it's changed. I don't know if there was anyone who threw seven innings uh, on Sunday in the league, but at the time, he was only one of three guys who had pitched seven innings this season. So, I mean, you know, guys are not stretched out right now. And for him to get right. to that point, you know, two hits, no walks, ten strikeouts, it's pretty good. He's your fifth starter. I I was really struck at just how in control he seemed. Like, it, you kind of have this passing familiarity with Kyle Gibson, even not just literally him, but his style of pitching from you know, his years in particular in the league, but also you, you see a lot of pitchers like him who sometimes have to get by on going with weak contact. They're not really known for big strikeouts. I think that was what his fourth, maybe fifth career double digit strikeout game. You know, that's not something you come to expect from a Kyle Gibson. You, you kind of come to the yard packing your good glove and expecting to see a little bit of action if you're out there in the field. But as I was watching him on Saturday, I I totally agree with you that he was the biggest surprise of this entire series. And as I'm watching him on Saturday, I'm like, okay, 
it's one start for sure. We can all flash back to Vince Velasquez striking out 16 Padres, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> there are, there are one-off examples of everybody looking like Cy Young that you can point to. Everybody has a career day. But I, I look at Kyle Gibson and I think about him in a little bit of a bigger picture sense, especially as there's a little bit of buzz. It's soft for now, but a little bit of buzz growing around Caleb Cotham and what people think about him and the sorts of improvements he could bring uh, to the pitching staff. And that's a hard thing to quantify. But you look at Gibson, even though he he wasn't his best after the Phillies acquired him in the second half of last year. But if he if he can replicate even bits of what he had working on Saturday, the good breaking ball, the good location with the fastball, and we can credit that to Cotham and, of course, Gibson for putting in the work himself, that could be a big deal. I'm trying to stretch this into, was that a true anomaly or is that something that we can watch out for as something of an early breakout sign and, hey... Maybe Kyle Gibson's going to pitch a little bit better than just being a fifth starter, even if he is nominally the fifth starter in this rotation. I don't know. I'm probably going to go with anomaly, and that's not to throw cold water on on what was a really impressive start. It's one start. I think what what stuck out to me was that he was was locating on both sides of the plate, and even after the game, he said that. like When he's going right, uh, because he's not a stuff guy, right? Yeah. Uh, he needs to be getting uh, some call strikes on both sides. And he was, um, he, he was doing some stuff. I mean, he was sinking and cutting the ball pretty well. And I think, uh, I, you know, he's still going to be in the end, we're going to look up and he's still going to be a, a pitch to contact guy. That, that, that is who he is. And, uh, you know, last season, uh, it's funny because you look up and, and by the end, you know, cause he had a, his first few starts were, were pretty good with the Phillies, but then you look up by the end of the year and, and, uh, the final numbers with the Phillies, it was just 69 innings and it, it wasn't very good. Like the final mm-hmm. numbers were not good. And like, no, you kind of looked up and you're like, eh, like I thought yeah, it's, it's maybe because he made such a good first impression. First few starts were good. They were, um, I, I'm going to guess that like in the, by the end of this year, like we, we see a guy that's kind of similar to what we saw last year and, and that's okay because like he to me is like the perfect fifth starter for this team the way it's built because i agree you want him you want to get innings out of your fifth starter and he's going to give you that like he will give you six or seven innings each time out and like that as just like a baseline for your fifth starter you're you're already winning and i know that seems weird people will be like well it doesn't matter if is if he's giving you six or seven innings if it's not good six or seven innings but think about it i mean if he if he's going to give up four or five and six or seven innings, and you can do the math, I don't know what ERA that is, but they they have a chance to win those games. Uh, yeah, they do. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know one thing I underrated about Gibson, and and I thought about this as the Phillies acquired him. Um, tangentially, don't go look up Spencer Howard's line from today. Um, oh, I saw. I saw. Uh, that. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I looked at Gibson and I'm like, okay they're picking up a guy who's in the midst of a career year and it doesn't really look like the numbers are going to support that really strongly. There's probably going to be a little bit of a drop back here. Maybe they gave up too much, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's offset enough by adding a body in Hans Kraus who may or may not be a reliever, et cetera, et cetera. And really, I think I just overthought it because what you just mentioned about Gibson is really valuable, especially right now in the way this season is starting with, the shortened and delayed spring training and all of all of that going into the preparation for this year. If you can deliver 
innings. I mean, not even just the quality that he gave on Saturday, which was phenomenal. If you can eat up those innings, that's doing everybody else on your staff a huge favor because Lord knows how these bodies are going to react come the end of this month with all the up and downs and the back to backs. And, you know, that's why the Phillies are carrying 16 pitchers right now to try and cushion themselves against that. If you can get those innings and they can be of a decent enough quality, layer that on top of the offense being so markedly improved from the second half of last year. And yes, absolutely. That's fine. And I think Obviously, I couldn't see the off-season additions coming and Schwarber and Castellanos and all that, but I really think I underrated that when it comes to Gibson. And it's a really simple thing where you lower expectations a little, sure, but it also gives you an appreciation for just how simply effective it is to get outs and to get a few more outs than the average starting pitcher does these days. Yeah, and like the biggest number at the end of the year for him will be that innings. He pitched 182 last year. And if he's over that this season, then it's a win. And I'll say this, like being around, uh, you know, a lot of different teams, Philly versions of the Phillies in the last, you know, 12, 13 years, mm. there is something to this in that when you have a really good pitcher on the mound, uh, he doesn't always get the best run support because you're thinking, right. you know, uh, this guy's going to, you know, we just got to get one or two for this guy. Or we, you know, we just got to, you know, uh, it's okay. Like we just, you know, this, he's going to put up zeros. But when, when someone who, you know, isn't your top guy or, or maybe, you know, not known as, as your ace or even like a fifth guy is on the mound, it's almost like you go into the, the offense goes in with the mindset, like we got to go, we got to score six today. Yeah. Like that's, we got to do it. And like, it sounds crazy because like they want to score six every night. Right. But there's just something about some guys get support, some guys don't. And a lot of times guys that get support are, you know, you're kind of middling Kyle Gibson's of the world. And, right. and uh, I don't know, there's, there's something to that mentality. Nobody would ever admit to that, but uh, I do think that's a thing. And for as pleasantly surprising as Gibson was on Saturday, I think what was pleasantly unsurprising, at least for the first two games was that um, the offense was basically as advertised. You have the home opener where everybody gets a hit except poor old Matt Beerling. Um, he still doesn't have a hit. He yeah. still doesn't have a hit. Yeah. Poor guy. Um, but and and clock, the clock's going to tick on him real soon. But we'll we'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, Schwarber leads off the game with a home run. Obviously, like perfect. We're, see, we're seeing yeah. flashbacks of 2019 and Andrew McCutcheon, and that was fantastic. Everybody contributed. Um, you have just you have enough offense on Saturday to back up Gibson. And that was really all you needed. Um, and then of course Sunday, whatever, give him a pass. But I, it really is unsurprising that the offense looks as good as it did not just in the runs that they scored, but in the counts that they're working and the pitches they're just extracting out of these staffs. Again, Sunday stands out as an anomaly because they were hacking at everything, I guess, trying to get everybody in from the cold. But the first two games really seem more in line with what we can probably expect uh, on a more frequent basis from week to week where they just grind out counts, foul off pitches, uh, spit on some close, you know, bait pitches with two outs or two strikes and really just get themselves back into counts and into games. And that's why you can't really count them out as games get later and they, they face a deficit. Is that, is that fair to say that Friday and Saturday are are probably more representative of, of what we're going to see on a more frequent basis with all the counts and eventually you hope the runs. I think so. I just, I have such a hard time reading so much into the first series, not just because it's the first Mm -hmm. series, but 
the A's, man. The competition. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. Would and you like, would you call Oakland retooling or is that no. is that kind? No, I think they're I think it's an embarrassment. Mm. I do. Like I think this roster is oh. offensive. Well and yeah. I, I, I looked at it so like look up and down the roster, Paul. Like who right. on the A's no one in the A's would be an everyday player for the Phillies. Maybe Pache, if you want, if you're saying you want defense in center field, he's a, he's a good prospect. Yeah. yeah, I get that. But like Chad Pinder, the, the Phillies are actually interested in him earlier in the offseason. Okay, um, that makes he'd sense. He'd be on the bench. Like Pinder's guy would be on their team. I think, uh, you know, maybe Tony Kemp would be like yeah. a utility guy for you. Sean Murphy is, you know, they have a really good catcher already in JT Romuto, but Murphy's regarded as a, as a really strong young catcher. But okay. Beyond that, like, yeah, Frankie Montas would probably be the third starter, right? Yeah, and maybe Lou Trevino in the bullpen. Lou Trevino would be in the bullpen, yep. And other than that, I think that's it. And maybe it's it's just uh, it's it it's it's just a sad it's a sad roster. It is, and no offense to Cole Irvin, who's uh, you know an awesome dude, and I'm happy to see the success that he had last year, and and you know the Phillies got into a good spot. Like that was like the perfect game to play Alec Bohm to make him like feel good about himself. And, mm. and it was weird that they took him out when they took him out. Not weird. I guess it was, it's a hell of a statement by Joe Girardi that he took him out when he did and, and, right. and, and brought in Johan Camargo for defense in the seventh inning. And he, mm-hmm. he was saying he wanted to uh, Bohm to leave on a good note. I mean, literally he had been just been picked off of first base like right before <laughs> they took him out of the game. So <laughs> but that was kind of funny, but you know, he had, he had two, uh, you know, really uh, three really strong plate appearances in that game, two hits and a, and a walk um, had a double off of Cole Irvin. And it was just, it was a great matchup for him and he didn't play Sunday. And it's funny nope. because and everyone was upset. You're like, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, it was like, no way Bohm can be on this team. Then he makes a team and then he, you know, plays in the second game, gets two hits, doesn't play the next day. It's like, where's Bohm? How could <laughs> Bohm not be playing? And it's like, uh, I don't know. I Everybody loves play- a hot hand. That's right. I think he'll play in Monday's game, uh, the series opener against the Mets, and I think Stott will play uh, second base. Uh, they'll get Segura off his feet. Okay. He played the first three games. Mm-hmm. It is sort of hard to figure out what Joe Girardi is going to do here. I'm kind of reading tea leaves here. He's dropped some hints, and I'm like starting to get a feel for how he's going to do this. Like I don't know if Schwarber's going to play tomorrow although he probably will he got a dh day sunday uh-huh maybe harper gets you know what that's what's gonna be harper's gonna get the dh day i bet in the first mets game and castellanos will be in right field and do you think do you think this is a harbinger of things to come is he going to stay this aggressive with his rotations into the summer the later summer or is this really just a thing where we've got training wheels on, we're still trying to figure out if guys, you know, have their hamstrings fully stretched out. We want to get some other guys, you know, chances at the plate. The Camargo thing, obviously, we saw that um, he was subbed in, like you said, and then got the start on Sunday. Is this here to stay for a few weeks or a couple of months? Or how long do you think Girardi is going to stay this aggressive with rotating guys in the field and onto that DH spot this way? A few, a few weeks, no okay. more than that. Uh, okay. They play 23 games in 24 days to start the season, and mm-hmm. I don't expect it to last much longer than that. Because, y- y- 
I don't know. These things have a way of working themselves out. That's an old baseball adage. You know, like guys say that in the sport all the time because somebody will get hurt and somebody, you know, will underperform. And you look at it now, you're like, oh, where, you know, how are they going to get all these guys at bats? And I'm sure there's going to be a point in the season where, like, how is this guy getting at bats? Because it's going to be none of the, you know, it's going to be somebody, you know, Nick Maton's going to be starting two weeks in a row. And you'll be like, Mm -hmm. man, like, you know, no offense, you know, Nick Maton might be fine, but I like Nick uh, Maton. Yeah, I know you. I know you're a big Nick <laughs> Maton guy. I like Nick Maton too. I think he's solid. I think he's a yeah. solid utility guy, like in the yeah. bigs. But um, there will be a point where, like, you know, there's there's a spot on the field that's not being filled by one of the guys, on, you know, on the mm-hmm. roster right now. And you're like, oh man, like they don't have enough guys. Where's the depth? So uh, this has a way of working itself out. But I don't think if everyone stays healthy uh, through April, I, I something's going to give. Uh, this rotation thing uh, won't go into May, I don't think. Um, and that's because like Stott and Bohm need to play. And right. if one of them is not playing because Gregorius and Segura are doing fine and everyone's healthy, like they, they're not going to reach a point where it's like a, just a platoon at third base. Cause that's not enough time for each of Stott and Bohm. Like, that's just not enough because right now the way they're rotating it, they look at those guys as like playing 65 to 70 percent of games right now just because mm. the way they can rotate. Yeah. But if you end up only rotating one spot a third, then then you're looking at 50 50. And, and that's just not, in my opinion, not enough uh, for, for those guys. Um, well, and here's the challenging thing and, and one of the unenviable spots Girardi finds himself in with this roster, even with the DH and, and just the way it's constructed. It, it's clear that Johan Camargo is a Girardi type of player. I, I think he's probably a slightly wealthier man's Ronald Torres and Girardi maybe sees it that way. You know, he, he can play all over the field. He's got a decent glove. He switch hits. He can work a patient AB, even if he hasn't really performed a whole lot over the last couple of years, he's got that, you know, capital V, capital P veteran presence that you could probably stick him in and, you know, feel relatively comfortable with the at-bat he's going to give you or the work he's going to put in in the field. But then you have Bowman Stott, who need to have this juggling act again of both development and production, where you don't want to, you know, rock the boat too severely by sending somebody down prematurely or leaving them on the bench for too long but also you want to make sure that they get exposed to every kind of situation they can, you know, uh, bad side of the platoon, whatever it may be. And it just seems hard to find a, a comfortable regular rotation for those three guys in what is, you know, presumably two spots because third base is obviously up in the air and up for grabs. Shortstop is still not a settled thing. And Didi is not, you know, sees that bull by its horns, but second base is pretty much locked down. And that's only going to open up when, um, Segura has those spell days. I just, I wonder how long this could be tenable. And if anybody's going to have the opportunity to perform well enough to really say, no, this is my job, or if it's just going to be too sporadic to really tell, and they're just going to miss out on something like some part of the equation isn't going to get filled in, whether it's playing time or situational use or, or what have you. It's yeah. I mean, and it's funny. Um, first, like Joe, yes, he he really likes Camargo, and, and like there's there's <laughs> there's a decent amount to like. Like he's he's he's, he's solid at third base, yeah. um, and, and I think you'll see him play some shortstop too at some point. And mm-hmm. uh, so going back to the, this roster idea, I yeah. found it uh, interesting that um, 
on the day they actually it was really the day after they had actually made the decisions. They just hadn't told us the public uh-huh. and the writers. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to Dave Dombrowski with uh, Todd Zalecki from LA.com. We talked to him um, right before uh, an exhibition game in Clearwater. And, and uh, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Dave essentially passed the buck to Joe in this situation. And mm. he's like, Oh, you know, we, t- you know, we told Joe, like, you know, this is only going to work if, you know, you think you can find enough playing time for both these guys. And Joe assured us that, you know, he can. And, and, and you know, Joe's going to find a way to make this work. And Joe said this is going to work. And it's like kind of like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> like, so, yeah. I mean, it, you know, again, like, the you know, they the manager that uh, the manager does make the lineup like there is input, right. obviously, from the front office. But the Phillies are certainly um, in the realm. They're more, you know, I would say right in the middle, I would. You know, there are teams where I think the front office is more involved in uh, in how the lineup is set and playing time and 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 actually making the lineup. I think uh, Girardi has a little more freedom probably than some other managers do in the sport, but mm-hmm. uh, it certainly was the expectations made pretty clear that this is just Joe's thing. Okay, like Joe told us that you know or assured us that we can make this work and. It's not like I don't think that Dave Dombrowski needed convincing that Stott needed to be on the team or that Bohm needed to be on the team. I think um, that was interesting. Kevin Long, I had a really fun conversation with him uh, uh, right before the season started, and he's like, "Look, Bohm like was the one who needed a full spring training. Like he just needed more time." Mm. And, and I think that that was the organizational. In the end, that was the sort of standpoint. I think there were some people who had to be convinced of that because it didn't look very good. Uh, during the spring but it was so hard to judge him on that like he did need more time and they're making adjustments and um certainly is not a finished product and, and neither is stott uh but time you know doesn't mean sitting on the bench in the big leagues like time means actual reps and and i think yes. they like the idea of Bohm still being able to work with kevin long on a regular basis since he's on the big league roster but um that really doesn't matter if he's not playing and uh, this little weave that Joe's is trying to, you know, this this needle he's trying to thread here, uh, it, it has an expiration date. It does, because at some yes. point they're not going to be resting the regulars, you know, twice a week or even three times a week. Um, it's going to be more like once a week or once every 10 days. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Are, are we looking last my last thought on this is, are, are we looking at the start of May when the rosters are going to shrink down and, and those extra cuts have to be made as the deadline for this? Because the Phillies are carrying extra pitchers right now and the bench and the position players, they don't really seem like they stand to be affected all that much by the pruning deadline that's coming up. But we know that the roster maneuvering with this team can sometimes out of necessity get creative. We also know that there are going to be a couple of outfielders who may be healthy either later this month or around the time that roster pruning deadline comes up. Like, are, are we thinking that there's probably only about three weeks for these guys to really make their case and prove that they should still be on this team, assuming health everywhere else, of course, once the beginning of May rolls around? Yeah, I think so, Paul. And, and okay. remember, when they do prune the roster uh, and it's 26, it is 13 and 13. Um, that's right you you that's can only right. um you, you have to carry at least wait how am i going to say this right you can't carry any more than 13 pitchers mm-hmm. and you know assume that every team is going to be carrying 13 pitchers i would be you know can't imagine there's gonna be a team that carries 12 pitchers in more than like a day or two 
Uh, I wouldn't think so. So you're going to have four bench players regardless because you have a DH now. So nine guys in the lineup, mm-hmm. four reserves. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to, I think that is almost uh, sort of a, an artificial deadline, I guess, at this point. You're right. Odubel Her is probably two-ish weeks away, I would say, uh-huh. from returning. You know, Moniac is, you know, obviously like four to six. I guess it's more like now, like, you know, about five weeks-ish away from returning, they think. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I think I just think once you get, you know, out of the clear here, once you get a few more weeks and these guys feel like they're more built up, they they think there's less of an injury risk for the regulars, um, there's gonna be more of a normal rotation. And then we're not even talk we haven't even talked about like what they're gonna do with left field, what they're doing with the DH, like you know, it's it's messy because like Nick Castellanos wants to play in the field. He doesn't want to be a full time DH. Mm-hmm. And right now, like they aren't crazy about putting him in left field. Uh, he has not played there a lot. Uh, Schwarber has. Uh, Castellanos is a right fielder, but it just so happens they 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 have a right fielder. Yeah, and kind so, of set there. Mm-hmm. And and Bryce will not. He will either play right field or DH. Um, mm-hmm. That is that is that is that. Like there are no other positions for Bryce Harper on this team. So. Uh, kind of an interesting puzzle like we haven't even you know that's a that's a separate puzzle to the puzzle that we're talking about right now so there's a lot going on with this roster this lineup uh doesn't mean that it can't work and 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 i'll go back to like these things usually find a way of of working out like solving themselves and uh i don't know it's gonna be interesting a lot it's a lot more than the manager a manager who uh doesn't have a contract after this season so kind of interesting it it definitely is and and well before we even reach that point of early May and thinking about pruning and readjusting the roster. We do have a couple of divisional series coming up this week where the Phillies get their first look at the Mets Monday through Wednesday, and then have a, uh, an extended weekend series down in Miami against the Marlins Thursday through Sunday. The start times for Monday and Tuesday's games of six forty-five Hell PM yes. Hell are yes. new to me. I, that is, that is unique. I don't remember seeing that before. Nope, they're trying that for the first time. Uh, and home games, they're going to do it, I think, for like the first few weeks of the season while school is in session. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I selfishly, you know, I wish they would play the games at 10 a.m. That's because I, 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 I cover every <laughs> game. You know, I cover a lot of the games, but I think right. 645 is cool. I think people will appreciate it. It'll be an adjustment for some. Uh, I'm all in favor of it. I think it's a really good idea. I, I do think people are going to have to adjust their alarm clocks to make sure they don't miss an entire half or full well, inning. Six, by six forty-seven. Let's be real. Six forty-seven. They never start. They never start. You know, the the, the game times are listed at seven o five and four o five or whatever. They never start at o five. It's always o seven. In fact, they post that in the clubhouse that it's o seven. So <laughs> they've been lying to you for years. People, oh. you have no idea. But yes, six forty-seven is probably going to be the first pitch. Always in the pockets of big baseball, uh, but we, <laughs> but we have our first Mets series of the year to look forward to, and and you never know exactly what is going to happen during a Phillies Mets series. You just know that something is gonna happen, <laughs> and I say that dramatically because every single time these two teams meet up, I, I, I don't know what happens. It's just. The weirdest stuff is reserved throughout the entire season for the 19 times these two teams meet up. So I don't know what's going to happen. I guarantee you something weird will, whether it's 
a game that that gets lost on a couple of fielding errors or uh, some strange replay controversy or, uh, you know, hopefully Jerry's more... Familia somehow Jerry's... like yeah. seeks revenge on an old uh, teammate he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was going to say I'm hoping more along the lines of dumping 10 runs on the equivalent of Steven Matz. But like, you know, something weird is going to happen. And so in the in the matchups, we have uh, probables of Taiwan Walker against Ranger Suarez for Monday. We have Tyler McGill and Zach Wheeler making a season debut on Tuesday. And then finally, Max Scherzer and Aaron Nola in, in what should hopefully be a, a really exciting match in the getaway day on Wednesday. I think it's probably safe to say, and again, this goes back to earlier caveats that we don't really know anything about this team yet, but I think we can safely say that this is going to be the team's first test because the Mets are good. They have good players and they're expected to be a division title contender. And so the Phillies need to bring their A game. And I think we could probably stand to learn a little bit more from these three games than we might have with the three against Oakland. Maybe, but maybe not. Only because like Suarez is pitching Monday and Wheeler is pitching Tuesday and they are probably not going to go more than like four or maybe five innings. Mm -hmm. Taiwan Walker's pitching Monday for the Mets. Like he's also not stretched out. Um, so yeah, we're going to learn some things, but like it, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of sloppy. Like it's not going to be, you know, like these teams, like, you know, fully armed, I guess, um, for lack of a better term. Uh, but yeah, we're going to learn, we're going to learn a lot. Like, is it Tyler McGill? How do you say his name? Like I heard it on the broadcast. It's, hmm. He spells it T Y L O R, which I don't think, I guess I didn't realize it last year. That's how he spells it. I think it's like Tyler, which is, I, I mean, I already have my two kids. Like we're not having any more kids, but Paul, if you uh -huh. have another child, please don't name him Tyler. <laughs> uh, I don't have any plans on that. I don't see, I don't see a pronunciation note <laughs> on baseball either. reference. So I, I'm, I'm just going to stick with Tyler. I don't know if this is like a, <laughs> he a pitched Tyra. really well. I mean, he pitched yes, he really did. well in his first game and, and actually Reese Hoskins uh, on Sunday after, after Sunday's game, he actually sh shouted out McGillis. It's like, you know, watch him opening day. He's 98, 99. Like that's not uh, what we saw last year. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's, he definitely jumped out. I think to a lot of people. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, I think of like, you know, Adubre Ramos, you oh, know, boy. had, had, uh, uh, you know, running with Ezreal Cabrera for oh, future man. Philly before he was a Philly. And then, you know, you had Larry Boa yelling at Hansel Robles. You know, I mean, there's like so many, you know, obviously there's there's great examples for from, you know, years and years past, but just in like even recent history, like when, and usually like neither, it's rare that both teams are good. Usually one of the teams is, is good and the other one is just really sad or they're both sad. Um, it's but uh, it's fun when both are good. It's better when both of these teams are good and I think both will be good and, uh, it's it's going to be I think it's going to be cool. I mean, it's two teams that spent a lot of money this off season. Uh, it's two owners that are regarded as you know uh, two of the more aggressive I think right now in the sport. Absolutely. And, uh, it's, I think these nineteen games and you know starting with these three uh, are are going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you're probably going to see like you're probably going to see if I had to take a guess, you're probably going to see like Nick Nelson come in after Ranger Suarez. I kept mm -hmm. asking Joe about this because I do know that they had sort of planned it out. Like a piggyback? You know, so they had, yeah, and they and they and I think they paired specific guys. So, for example, Falter okay. 
is a lefty and he came in after F on the righty, a little different mm-hmm. style, right? Don't you, you know, the idea would be yep. to, to pair the piggyback guy with somebody who's a little different change of pace. Uh, yeah. So you probably don't want Chris Sanchez. who's also left-handed coming in after Suarez. So I'm going to guess like Nick Nelson is Rangers piggyback. And that Christopher Sanchez is uh, Wheeler's piggyback. Uh, Nelson threw the ball really well in spring. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see him pitch. Uh, yeah, he seemed all right. In a, yeah. In a, in a, um, in a, in a regular season game and a game against the Mets and, uh crowds are pretty good over the weekend uh you know for the first series and and we we know they're going to be good for the Mets series because there will be uh a lot of Mets fans and like watching I caught some bits and pieces of the Mets and national series mm-hmm. and uh there were a lot of Mets fans there they yeah they really do travel well even even if the Mets are are down and they are not down this year and I don't expect them to be down this year they they always travel well especially to Philadelphia they make their presence felt um it's it always makes for an interesting environment there during Phillies Mets game. It's it's uh it's the return of Travis Jankowski. Oh yes, the thing we're all there to celebrate. Absolutely, they got a they have a video tribute to him. I'm sure lined up. Um, but no, it, it the divisional series I I think are good. I, I'm somebody who likes the 19 matchup uh, layout mm, the way the schedule this currently is. That's it. No more right this year, and, and it's going to change. They're gonna they're gonna change the way the schedulers are, the schedules are laid out, but, but I, I all right I don't disagree with you I like that yeah, I do too I I, but but on the other hand I have become much like you know I, I don't like the DH but I've come to accept it I've come to accept that uh-huh. it will be nice to see every team yes every year yes. I think that's kind of cool I do it is it no it it definitely is and and part of me is a little bit relieved that. We won't have to see some of these teams, you know, 18, 19 times just because it does get to be a little tough seeing them so much. And the Phillies and Mets are so saturated uh, early in the year. Um, but yeah, I, I will miss that a little bit. I think I think healthy division rivalry is good and really makes for more interesting baseball, um, not just early in the year, but later in the year, too, during races. Uh, but again, speaking of, of divisional opponents, after this Mets series, assuming uh, both teams survive and there isn't, you know, some, some strange thing that incapacitates all of them. Uh, the Phillies will travel never to Miami. Know. You really never, you never do. It's just, it's a Phillies Met series. The Phillies are going to travel down to uh, Miami to play the Marlins for four games. And I think what's going to be different about this year is we can no longer say, and this was already kind of true last year. We can no longer say that the Phillies should win each series against the Marlins, that you expect the Phillies to take two out of three, or three out of four, or really like assert some kind of superiority because the Marlins, even though they lost two of three to the Giants in their opening series, the Marlins, the Marlins are good this year. I like what the Marlins have. I think, as always, their pitching is going to be sneaky. I think they've got a nice collection of players on offense. And I think they're going to be more of a legitimate problem, not just a bugaboo for the Phillies that they were the past few years. Like they're actually a team that's probably i would say got a great shot at finishing above 500 and is not a team to be taken lightly three one run games against gabe kapler's giants start the year Mm, that's pretty okay there you go yeah actually thursday is the marlins home opener and like i'm kind of excited to be there for that because there might be people in the ballpark there you go and like i i like marlins park i'm a weirdo um, I, I don't like it though, because <laughs> the only thing I don't like about it is that there's never anyone there. It, it is a tough place to play. I like the yeah. ballpark itself aesthetically. 
Uh, I think it's kind of funky. It's cool. It's very Miami. Uh, I'm kind of excited for there to be people in the seats. I assume there will be people there for the home opener. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Um, but They've done well with openers in the past. I, I would expect there to be a nice crowd there. Yeah. You know, like all the things they did, like people forget about Jacob Stallings. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who's terrific with with pitchers and like when you pair him with the young pitchers they have, like, oh, like really, um, you know, really makes a lot of sense. And, and Joey Wendell, local kid, just solid. You know, like, you know, he's going to get a couple big hits against the Phillies. And uh, I agree with you. They've put together a solid, a good, not great team, but solid all around. I thought the trade they made with the Orioles, we talked about it on one of the podcasts because it was happening. Yes, we were talking. the relievers. Like, mm-hmm. just solid, solid middle relievers. And, like, the bullpen was probably their weakest unit. And those guys are going to help. They're not shut down guys, but they're solid. Like, really was, solid. Uh, Cole Sulcer and uh, Tanner Scott yeah. were the two? Yep, yeah. yep, they're good. And, you know, the they added to their outfield big time. Avi Garcia, I think they gave him a four-year deal. Jorge Soler, they added, and even even if Soler isn't the greatest, you know, defender, again, ZH is there. You can plug him in there if you need to. Uh, Jazz Chisholm is really exciting. He's just he's fun to watch. He's I don't fun. know if he's yeah. I don't know if he's going to be like all world moving forward, but he's he's a nice player and he's exciting. And we've seen in the past when you know the Phillies come against uh, some morale guys. Uh, I, I think back to you know. Not that this is the greatest example because he's a pretty terrible person, but Jose Reyes, when he was with the Mets and he would get things started for the Mets during those division, right. those divisional series, it would be like be like a, a shot to the gut, right? Like, and okay, how do you respond to that after he singles and steals second base and and you know gestures toward the dugout and gets everybody <laughs> hyped up? You're like, you start to grumble to yourself a little bit. And Chisholm is is not as irritating as that, but he is flamboyant and flashy, and he, he plays with style. And he can take you out of the park. He's not somebody to take lightly. There are a lot of guys on that offensive side of that team. You know, I'm familiar with Brian Anderson just because he personally always seems to come up with 15 hits against the Phillies that just rip my heart out. Maybe I'm just too focused on that. Miguel Rojas, too. He on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. They're just littered with guys who can just stick the knife in you at any given moment and you just don't know where it's going to come from. And I think to take them for granted this year would really be a huge mistake. Yeah. And I don't think they will. And and I don't think they will. I either. think the way it lines up, I think they'll see uh, Sandy Alcantara in that first game at Marlins park. Uh, I think Gibson would start, right? Yeah. Noel pitches Wednesday. So Gibson on Thursday. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Paul, on all this. Like they are an interesting team not to be taken for granted. And the Phillies would be the last group to take the Marlins for granted, just given how everything went. Now I will say they had a winning record against the Marlins last year, didn't they? That is a good question. Was it, was it 10 and nine? It was 10 and nine. No, I'm sorry. They were nine and 10 against the Marlins. Nine and 10. Okay. But so So close. close. Yeah. Outscored by 13 runs in those 19 games. But, uh, Yeah, they had a winning record against the the Mets, and then they were nine and ten against the Braves. Yeah, I mean they they cleaned up on the Nats as we remember. Dogfight, and, and I yeah, I I might have to revise my. Did I say in the podcast? I've been telling people that I think the Nationals are going to be the worst team in baseball this year, mm-hmm. which, which which people think I'm crazy for saying that because um, there are a lot of teams that could be worse than them. I might have to revise that after seeing the A's. I think the A's might be might end up with a worse record than the Nats, but I don't know. The Nats are, are pretty bad and they've already like run a bunch of relievers in the ground. My boy, Victor Rano is already 
throw him like he threw like 30 <laughs> pitches on the second of a back-to-back and the guy's coming off like arm problems i mean oh, like man. what is going on here uh so yeah i'm sticking with the nats being the worst team in baseball and if the phillies play them 19 times they gotta win they have to at least equal the 13 and 6 mark from last year against the nats like they, they just gotta they have to steamroll that team I think the Nats are going to win like 57 games and people think I'm crazy. I say that I, I think they're that bad. No, I'll, I'll, I'll go on record here with you. I don't think they're going to be very good either, especially well, if we they... know they're not going to be good. I think it's more of like, I think they're worst in baseball. Good. Bad, oh, okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll get there quicker. Yes. I agree with you. They're a hundred loss team. And I, I think, I don't think we're going to see a ton of hundred loss teams this year. Maybe Oakland challenges them if they, you know, strip for parts, maybe if, Montas Pittsburgh. and Kemp and those legs mm. get traded. Pitts, Pittsburgh. Uh, I I could see Pittsburgh. I could see Pittsburgh staying above seventy wins, seventy seventy one wins. Um, but yeah, it it's not a it's not a competition you want to be part of. That's for sure. I think the Orioles are better than the Nats. Like I, I actually believe that. So Orioles got some nice hitters. Yeah, there's 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 some talent in that lineup at least. Um, yeah. But that is. That is the weekend that was and the week that is to come in Philadelphia Phillies baseball. We don't know a whole lot yet, uh, except for the fact that the Phillies are two and one, which is a winning record. It's above 500. And you take that, <laughs> you know, like that's you bank wins. Wins are wins. They have two wins. They have one loss. So you, you take that. Uh, sure. It was against Oakland. May not have learned a ton of stuff. That's fine. Now we get to uh, watch a little bit of divisional rivalry baseball and, uh, See if we can pick out a few more things to learn and a few more uh, <sighs> interesting happenings in a Phillies Met series that I I really just have to spend an entire night bracing myself for what I'm about to see. I'm just like so scarred by all the weird stuff that I see happen in these series. But anyway, my own personal demons aside, we've got an interesting week of baseball coming up. Matt, is there anything other than uh, what we've already touched on that you might be looking out for um, as the Phillies just keep on trucking through this marathon start to the year now i was trying to figure out where ed dubray ramos is pitching this year and it doesn't look like he's i don't think he's in major league ball right he was with texas i think on a minor league deal last year and then question mark was it a two-year minor league deal who knows he did not pitch at all in organized baseball last season oh well there you go okay but he has a texas rangers headshot on baseball reference Interesting. I just remember, oh man, gosh, <laughs> that game was Drew Cabrera, and then they made a bobblehead out of it. They sure did, and, and I think they gave it out in a Phillies game the next season. <laughs> was that already like seven years ago? Was that twenty fifteen? Oh god, I don't, no, it wasn't fifteen because that was the year I didn't 16? cover the team. I think it was sixteen. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> For or future Phillies legend as Drew Cabrera. Yeah. <laughs> Once once, we've lived through some weird times, man. Once was one of the guys who caused Carlos Santana to smash a few clubhouse TVs. It's a story for another day. I mean, you know, everyone knows the Santana story, but sure, sure. He didn't didn't like his dual career. Well, hopefully, we don't end up with um, a bunch of hardware getting smashed in the clubhouse (laughs) at some point this year. Uh, that's, that's one thing I'd, I'd like not to revisit. It's, it's funny, haha, to look back on it now and think like, eh, I'm still tugging at my collar, you know, trying to little bit of, go, little bit of steam out from that year. That the whole Phillies, the Phillies go to Coors Field, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in a week basically now. And I can never, I will not be able to go to Coors Field now without thinking about, uh, the end of the 2019 
season anymore because it was the the worst four game series I think I'll ever see a baseball team, a major league baseball team play. And if you have a chance at the end of this podcast, if you've reached the end of the podcast, look up just to remember it, the end of the 2019 season, the four games the Phillies played. Was it not? No, it was not. It was 18. Sorry. I'm sorry. 2018 when they finished at Denver and they lost 10 to one, 10 to three, 14 to nothing and five to three. The last game was a game of Jake Arias basically quit. It was just an amazing series for a lot of reasons. And that's what I think about. When I think about Coors Field, man. Matt, I, I think it's never been more appropriate that our show is called Philly's Therapy than understanding just all of the demons we still have to exercise. <laughs> just going through them, just the last couple of minutes. We've got so much going on in our heads right now that we need to work out. And <laughs> it's what better, what better outlet, what better medium than this show? I think we need to cut it there before we get a little bit too deep and, and sink in a little bit too far into the couch here. Uh, but it was a good weekend series for the Phils. We have a very interesting week of games ahead. Who knows what things are going to look like when we meet up again next week. But hopefully we've got some enjoyable baseball coming our way that ends up with more wins than losses. Um, that feels silly to say out loud, but I think we all want it. Uh, for, <laughs> for Matt Gelb of the Athletic Philadelphia, I am a loopy and silly and probably in need of a nap, Paul Boyer. Thank you so much for listening to Phillies Therapy. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. We'll catch you then.